you don't need the newest, shiniest stuff. You need to know the good technique to get there. Hello, Ukramedia family. Vladimir Proknevsky here, and welcome to episode number three of the Ukramedia podcast, where I serve our Ukramedia family with interviews from highly creative people every Tuesday and Thursday. Today's guest is Rick Ellis. Rick is a 3D artist at Niles Creative. Rick's previous employers include Fox, Disney, EW Scripts, Ion, and Norwegian Cruise Line. Rick is also a part of our private Ukramedia Facebook group which you can also be a part of for absolutely free at ukramedia.com slash community. Here's a fun fact about Rick. He began his career as a 3D artist on cruise ships. Rick, is that true? Yeah, that was where I got started, and it seems like a really weird place to get started, but it kind of worked out really well for me. Tell me a little about it. How did you start there? Sure. So, yeah, so when I was in college, I majored in uh, broadcasting and video production. And when you're coming into that world, all the entry-level jobs require two years of experience. And so the big question is, like, how do you, as a brand-new graduate, get a job that requires two years of experience? And people have various strategies. Somebody goes for an internship and turns that into a job, or somebody happens to have a friend or a brother in the industry. And uh, For me, I didn't have any of that, but it turned out, uh, someone told me they had uh, broadcast type jobs on cruise ships and I just felt like I was I was young enough and I was adventurous enough to kind of want to see the world and uh, I did that for about five years and by the time I got back I had more experience than I would have if I would have started an entry-level job at a TV station so it's pretty crazy. You know, it makes total sense because I was looking at your portfolio earlier today and wow, you have some beautiful 3D modeling of ships and now I know the story behind it. Now I know where it came from, right? It was from your first job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love ships. Um, yeah, it's I don't know why I love modeling that so much. I mean, I did spend a lot of time at sea, but I think there's just... You, whenever you hear stories from ships, it always just seems way more interesting. As I'm building these, you know, kind of shapes, and you're 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 spending hours looking at this shape and trying to, you know, deal with the relationships of of how these things fit together. In my head, I think what I'm doing is kind of making up these ship stories, <laughs> and it, so it's just fun for me to spend hours doing something like that. Man, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I hear stories all the time. Someone started as a cameraman for like a clown show, or I think Sergey even went on on the road with like a rodeo of some type, like early days for like the whole summer he traveled yeah. around i mean it doesn't matter where you get your experience right as long as you get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's totally true as long as you, you come away with a few years experience and a good reel that's a step up and for me i started out originally started out as a cameraman then i moved on to graphic design and gra web development and you know web design all that good stuff but I remember Sergey and I both worked in Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know if Sergey told you this, but we worked for this production company there. This guy owned this old museum full of motorcycles, like old, old motorcycles. I remember that's the first time I learned what knucklehead meant. Like it was a type of engine for the motorcycle. But that's what I, I recorded motorcycles for like a year. And that's where I kind of picked up the whole camera work. So it's pretty cool that you have like this like odd uh, first job kind of experience, which turned into something really cool. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Now, how did you end up doing yeah. what you do now? Like, so walk me from that. So you, you got that first job and then what paths did you take? You worked on stuff for the news, for Fox, I see, for other stuff. How did that come about? Okay, so I was working for Norwegian Cruise Line. When I worked for Disney, I did I worked for the cruise line as well. That was a cool step because when you when you work for Norwegian Cruise Line, you they need a broadcast person because everybody expects to have televisions in their rooms on a cruise. And 
But when you work for Disney and you're in the entertainment department, there's just this whole different level of professionalism and expectation. And uh, instead of being an ancillary benefit for the guests, I was part of the show. I got like way more experience, but also with a higher quality of coworker and uh, boss. And one of the things that they demanded that I'd learned when I got there is uh, Cinema 4D. So I was pretty good with After Effects and I was great with Final Cut and Premiere and editing and all that. I mean, on Disney ships, we had just had so many screens around the ship that needed content all the time. So I had to provide that content and they wanted flashy graphics that look like it should be broadcast level stuff. And so it was sort of like, here's this box of software, learn it and be that good. And uh <laughs> I mean, I, I worked for Disney for almost four years, traveling around the world and building new ships and doing dry docks and all over the place, uh, even some back in Orlando at the headquarters. And, and so it's really cool because you see these graphics that you build in one place get picked up and used fleet wide or used across the broadcast uh, uh, market as well. And you just get this different level of experience, especially when the pressure's on. And the interesting thing about working in the cruise ship uh, world is you just you work seven days a week. You're working 10 to 16 hours a day, depending on the on the schedule. And you just get I don't know. We used to we used to say you get about three months worth of experience for every month that you actually spend on the ship, just as far as how much time you're working in the industry. And uh, that, that definitely seemed to be the case for me. So when I came out the other end of that three and a half, four years, it felt like I'd got more than three and a half years of experience working for Disney. And then to have Disney on your resume, as soon as I got off the ship, suddenly, instead of having to apply to 50 different places, everybody wanted to hire me because Disney was on that resume. Wow. So you pretty much build a momentum. You just went from project to project. And then after a while, you build up this awesome portfolio. And then it helps having Disney on resume, like you said. And then boom, that pretty much gave you a yeah. nice push into a, a, where you are today. Yeah. Now, I'm sure, you know, especially working on the, you know, where you worked under high pressure and all that good stuff that, you know, makes us grow. But I'm sure that, you know, it wasn't always great. I'm sure you've had some mistakes along the way. Now, share one painful experience from this journey of yours. Can you think of one? Like, walk me through it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had I had one boss that I didn't get along with, and um, I'm sure the problem wasn't with me. You know, of course, I'm not biased in that <laughs> perspective, but but uh, it would be really weird. We had we had a, a, a problem at the company, and I was supposed to be his person that was going to back him up with whatever it was that I saw about the situation, and that's not what happened. So I didn't tell his side of the story, and I felt like I was being kind of a, a retribution, I guess, later on in my work. I started getting all these really bad assignments. I started getting, um, like, I, I would have to fill out, as a salaried person, I, I, he made me start filling out timesheets of how I spent, you know, all the hours of my day. And I started finding, <laughs> I found spyware software on my computer that was going so he could he could open up my desktop on his computer from his office and see if I was wasting time or, you know, actually doing work. And wow. When I found out about that, first my first reaction was I was angry, and then my second reaction was, but I'm not, I'm never doing anything wrong. Like, why should I care? Like, let him watch my computer because I don't sit here and waste time. I actually do work, and this stuff takes a while. And uh, that went on for several months. He started also giving me false projects, projects where nobody was actually asking for it, but he wanted to <laughs> wow. make himself look like he was taking the initiative or whatever. But this would cut into actual work that I had to do. And it, it, it was several months before I found out about it. And the way I resolved that problem was uh, when I was done with my latest project, I sent him an email saying I was done with this project. 
here are the results. And then I sent a list of all the projects that he asked me to do that I was pretty sure were not real projects. And I copied his boss on the email. So all that stuff stopped immediately <laughs> because he wasn't supposed to be doing it. That was, that was, uh, that was several months where it was kind of a nightmare scenario. It was like, who do you go and talk to if you're, you feel like your boss is out to get you? So yeah, that was, that was kind of heartbreaking. Jeez, man, that sounds, sounds like I was a real jerk. Hey, what about one takeaway from this experience? What, what did you learn from this experience? Um, just there, there are ways you can say no in the corporate world that are not like uh, if, if you have a boss that wants something done, you can't say no, right? Mm-hmm. But you can say, well, I can do this or I can do this thing that I know I have to get done. So it's sort of like, well, I want this done by 5, 8, 5, uh, 5 p.m. And you go, okay, well, I can do that but I can't do this and my regular work. You can have one or the other. Being able to say no in a, in a way that is not uh, disrespectful or make where it doesn't look like you're trying to get out of work uh, is a very important thing to do because sometimes people either don't know how much time something takes or they don't care. Um, so yeah, being able to give people a choice of where they're telling themselves no. No, I do need you to get your regular work done. This thing can be put off until later. That was a huge uh, learning experience. How about your most proudest project, your moment, something that you uh, to this day talk about? Oh, yeah. I like to talk about a lot of my work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pick one, the best one. Give us your best. Yeah, here's one I'm really proud of. This is also going back to the cruise line thing. and it, But I like it because it, it relates to how uh, I got into the job that I'm in now. Is when I was working for Disney, they were building a couple of brand new ships toward the end of my time there. And so I got to open a ship called the Disney Dream. And at the time, this is 2010, I guess, it was the most technologically advanced, especially as far as the entertainment systems. It was the most technologically advanced cruise ship out there. And so part of that was we had all these really cool um, features, all these displays, all these screens, all these program management systems that were brand new because Disney buys the newest, latest stuff, but not everybody knew how to use them. Like we were, we were loading in pieces of equipment, had serial numbers that were like 000003. Um, like they were brand new. And so they had an idea of what they wanted to do with this stuff, but I didn't know exactly. And uh, so I was in Germany for, I guess, about three or four months when these systems would be installed. They would just say, like, OK, here's this thing. Here's how you load content into it. See what you can make it do. And that was like, you know, I got to build stuff for like these LED uh, walls that wrapped around venues and for ceilings and for virtual windows uh, and for like these floors that lit up with content. And it was instead of building stuff for a four by three box or a 16 by nine box, you're building like an environment like you imagine something and then you build it into this world that actually exists and you sort of get to walk around in this image that you had in your head, but you're now standing inside of it. It was really trippy, but really rewarding to build something for these non-standard screens and to just have the opportunity where people are like, okay, here's this really expensive, really cool thing. What can you make it do? And you're like, oh, I bet I can make it do something awesome. <laughs> um, to, to have the opportunity to just fill that, that with content straight out of your head, no boss giving you a specific assignment at the beginning <laughs> was amazing. It was a lot of fun. It was sort of like I got to turn the ship into my own little uh, <laughs> video screen and play with it. I mean, they had lasers. They had these uh, systems that would shoot lasers through fog, and I got to build stuff for that as well. I mean, it was just it was one of those things where I don't think I'll ever get exactly that opportunity again. But it kind of it showed me that there was a lot more out there that I, I could make than just, the, I guess, the career path that I had imagined. And so now the stuff that I'm doing, we do all these non-standard screens all around the country, like the Comcast Center in Philadelphia, it's a 50-foot screen. And the U.S. Bank Tower, there's this lobby. Uh, we have a 120-foot screen that kind of wraps around in a, in a semicircle around the lobby. And uh, we're doing this other one now in Chicago. It's six stories up. It's these 10, 20 by 20 screens in the ceiling. 
that all function as if they were one long continuous screen. But like trying to come up with what what can you see from this perspective and what illusions can you do with it? Uh, that was stuff that I got all, all the way back like eight years ago. Uh, I got started with that experience working for Disney and designing for all these things that I had never designed before. So that's one of my favorite happy experiences. Man, it must be terrifying knowing that you have this deadline you have to meet. And at the same time, you have all this equipment that you've never seen, touched, or ever played with. So I'm sure that was terrifying. Well, yeah, it, it was and it wasn't. Like the, <laughs> the upside of it was uh, if you've ever been involved with building a ship, which I doubt many people have, <laughs> I was the least I was the smallest problem that everybody had to deal with. <laughs> so if some, if I did something that didn't quite work right, nobody cared. They had bigger problems like, well, this thing float. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I got to experiment without worrying too too badly about, it, you know, is something going to go wrong? Because there were, there were literally just safety things that were more important than how does the screen work. And secondly, uh, they didn't know <laughs> what the screens were capable of. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they. So they you're the expert. Me. Whatever so, you say, you just have to be confident right. in your answers. That's a yes, skill to learn. Yes, that's a huge one. That's a huge one to know in the corporate world as well. Is sometimes just be confident because the other people don't necessarily know uh, better than you do. Uh, I remember I used to go to a lot of meetings where I would be nervous that everybody else knew more about this than I did, and it turned out to be obvious relatively quickly that uh, the reason that I was in these meetings giving these talks is because they didn't know any better. So if there was a best practice type question, whatever I said went, not because I was brilliant, but because I was the person in the room that knew the most about it at that time. Well, if you don't believe in yourself, how are they going to believe in you? You just kind of have true. to go with it. It's kind of like uh, always goes back to that uh, Muhammad Ali quote. So if I don't tell them I'm the greatest, how are they going to know? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you just got to... <laughs> Just got to go with it. Before I had this problem, somebody would compliment me on something like, oh, that's a great design. Or, oh, you're such a great father. Or, oh, that's a great shirt you're wearing. And I was like, oh, no, it's just a little thing that, yeah, it's not no big deal. You just have to learn. It's like, yeah, it is. I am a great father. Yeah, I am a good designer. Yeah, I am. Yeah, just, <laughs> it's not arrogance. It's just, you just got to know your worth, you know? I always went with fake until you make it. And not in the sense that you were trying to lie to people, but you would be better at something before you actually felt that you were better at it. You, there's this kind of, mm. uh, when mm -hmm. you start out learning something, you feel uncomfortable because you don't know what you don't know. And then you feel a little bit better because you do know what you don't know. Um, you know, and so it's this, it's this kind of progression. And by the time you're actually really good at it, your feeling about how good you are at it hasn't quite caught up yet. That's, and, uh, that's well said. Yeah, I, I like it. I've done some public speaking before. It is amazing how nobody knows you're nervous if you don't show it. Just just go with it. That's the trick. Just don't show them that you're nervous. That is true. <laughs> I, had, I had to give some, uh, I had to memorize something, give a speech uh, when I was a kid and I was terrified about it. And I didn't know if I could remember the whole thing or if, you know, I was going to skip a line. And my dad finally just told me, he's like, if you skip a line, no one's going to know. No, you're having trouble memorizing this. None of these people have memorized it either. And I'm like, oh, that's, just keep smiling and keep going. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Let's see. Uh, what do you do when you are unfocused? Are there any tips, tricks, tactics that you can share with us? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, do, I Google stuff I'm interested in until I forget wh what my problem was. And I <laughs> uh, honestly, there's there's this thing in my head where I feel like, uh, I feel like sometimes you just got to shake the soda machine to get it to work. Um, and <laughs> like one, one of the best things I can do when I'm having trouble focusing or having trouble coming up with a solution for something is just nothing. Just do something else. And like it, it's amazing if you go for a walk or if you, I don't know, 
play basketball or just I think part of it is if you get the part of your brain that controls like your physical body like your reflexes I guess it's part where you're not really thinking about what you're doing you're reacting right Mm -hmm. and it's separate from the part of your brain that is creative and imaginative and they function differently and if you get one side distracted the other side kind of shakes things loose Mm -hmm. I I wish I could explain it a little better than that but um, when I'm unfocused or when I'm having trouble coming up with an idea or solution one of the best things I can do is just not work on that anymore do something Something else, something that, that I need to, you know, not just watch TV, but something that, that takes effort or takes up time. Take your focus off of that. It happens to me all the time. It's within an hour that things shake loose. And I'm like, oh, well, clearly I should have just looked at it from the other side or whatever. Dude, that's, that's so true. So true. I usually take a shower uh, and then that just when you're in the shower, you're so relaxed and hot shower. And then all of a sudden your mind is clear and all kinds of good ideas come in. So what are some good habits to your success? Uh, being obsessive, <laughs> <laughs> like the ship thing. Uh, I didn't do it because I, I didn't because I thought 3D modeling ships would help my career at all. It was just I find ships fascinating. And if I had free time, you know, I used to I used to draw a lot when I was in school and growing up and nobody told me to draw. I just wanted to draw. If I saw an image or if I had a picture of something in my mind, it's like, oh, that's really cool. I should get that down before I forget. You know, before you know it, you get you get sucked into it and six hours have gone by. That I think has been that's what made me get better quickly uh with, with disney when they were like learn this 3d software um when i was trying to figure out after effects for the first time it was i just wanted to know where the button that does that thing that i imagined in my head where, where is that button where is that process and it's almost this obsessive thing that, that makes you get past the the boring part of the learning curve i just want to see if i can make it better i just want to see if i can make that picture in the computer match the picture in my head and oh it's just this kind of obsessive drive to obsessive sounds like a bad word but you know it's something no one else is motivating you to do you just really really want to see if it works Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because on those, especially on your work, such so much detail, you can probably spend months and months. It never ends. I mean, at some point, you just have to say, look, this is enough. Sometimes good enough is good enough. And I'm stopping right here. I'm, I'm sure it's probably like that with you with every project. Yeah, I think it's like that with with just about everyone on every project. I think that I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard that no project is ever finished. It's only abandoned. That's true. The idea that, that I heard that before. That you can like if you are left to yourself, you will work on, especially as an artist, you will work on a project until you die. I mean, like the only reason that we have the Mona Lisa in its current form is that Leonardo da Vinci died and stopped painting it. And, you know, if there's no deadline, if there's nobody asking for it, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I will I will tweak that thing and add more details until you know my computer stops working. So yeah. All of us have this hard time disconnecting, especially if you have kids, if you're married, or you constantly want to create. You come home and you're just like, what, what else can I do? What else can I do? And I yes. find myself personally just having a hard time unplugging myself from creating stuff. How do you deal with that? How do you balance life outside of work? Uh, I'm, I'm a hermit. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't go out much. My goal is literally to buy a cabin on top of a mountain with Wi-Fi and <laughs> just have pizza delivered. That's um, funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, people people always talk about the work-life balance, and I'm like, it balances really well if you just do work. I mean, I do work at work, and then I come home and I do more work, and you know, I do watch football occasionally. But um, yeah, I just I, I dove headfirst into the work part of it. I'm sure, that's probably not the healthy answer for people with kids. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but um, that, that's that's what I went with. What about uh, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in your field? 
when I was in college, we took this, I had to take this math class that they didn't really care if you learned math. It was more of more of like you needed this credit to graduate. And we know that this is not a field, you know, these people are not becoming engineers or architects or whatever. So what kind of practical college level math class can we give them? And it was this really cool class that, that they applied math to solving common problems in ways you wouldn't expect. And so one that we got was the traveling salesman problem. And it was, if you have, if you're a traveling salesman, you've got 50 different cities, how do you go, you know, you're driving, you're putting gas in your car. How do you go so you can get the most sales without spending much gas? And there, there was a formula for figuring this out. The problem was that the more cities you added, it got uh, exponentially more complex to the point where if it was something like, like over 50 cities, you know, there's no supercomputer in the universe that can solve this equation. So you could never figure out the quickest, most efficient, best way to do something. But there was a way that was about 85% as efficient. Almost every time, it would give you not the best result, but a pretty good result. And that is if you start in one city, you look for the city that's the shortest next drive. And you go to that city. And when you're done with your sales stuff there, you go to the next city that's the shortest next drive. You take the next best step. And that's really all you can do is like everything else is just theoretical. So wherever you are, whether you're wanting to get into this for the first time, whether you're you're studying at university or you've had an entry-level job, or if you've been doing this for 10 years, really the only strategy available to you is what is your best next step. Uh, there's no formula that's really going to figure it out or uh, we make it too complex, I think, sometimes. Uh, literally, the best advice is take a step, but just take the best next step. That's great advice. And, you know, looking back at Sergey and myself, that's how we started. We pretty much would build on momentum. Somebody asked us, hey, can you record this little thing? And we recorded that little thing. It's like, oh, wow, I can record. This is really cool. I kind of like it. And then somebody liked what you did. And they're like, do you want to try maybe do some work at church, like recording something in church? Then you, before you know it, you're yes. getting experience. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. Then you use that experience, apply it somewhere else, and then use experience you acquired somewhere else and just keep climbing that ladder. I remember thinking that when I was just starting out, I had a first job that was okay, but not very good for what I wanted before the cruise line. Um, this is not my dream job, right? And there was this kind of, I was frustrated because, you know, I had imagined all this stuff that I wanted to accomplish throughout my career. And I, it, I didn't get it at the first job. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, you know, your, your entry level job is not going to be the dream job, but there was still kind of this, well, not depression, but kind of disappointment that all my dreams didn't come true on my, on my first job in the industry. And so the next job I was looking for, I was looking for the one that would be that dream job. And I think I was making it more complicated. You know, I think I was trying to do the uh, the complex equation that no supercomputer on earth can solve um, instead of just going, okay, well, I'm not going to get the perfect job, but we'll five opportunities that are available to me and what gets me closest to that thing. What, you know, mm-hmm. just to make it too complicated and not taking the, the best next step we uh, get when things aren't perfect, when things aren't, uh, aren't that ideal job that you want, you kind of feel like you failed. It, 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 that's not the case at all. The real measure of whether you failed or succeeded is, is the place that you're at right now, is that closer to your ideal than the place you were at a year ago? And you have to take a, a, ne- a next step that is not the ideal step. Is that a step closer to the ideal than you're at right now? That's really the only measure of success. 
That's good advice on YouTube. I see all the time people that have like really expensive equipment and they make crappy videos and people that have just cheap equipment and they make amazing videos. I always tell people that you should always start out with where you are. If you have just a small camera, use it, learn it, make it the best that you can and then upgrade to a higher, better camera or computer or software or whatever it is. But master that first step where you are. Don't run after this whole shiny object syndrome thing. You know, don't run after the best equipment. Yeah. Uh, people waste so much money on, on shiny stuff syndrome. I mean, it gets really expensive if you're playing the shiny stuff syndrome. Uh, and so one of the first things that was a big influence for me is I, I read this book called The DV Rebels Guide by Stu Mashwitz, who's this uh, director and visual effects guy out in California. And I mean, he's huge. He, he had a company for a while called The Orphanage that was this amazing visual effects company that did some of the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. And so he knows he, he knows what he's talking about. And he writes this book saying, look, we spend all this money trying to get these shots for films that we don't need to spend all that much money on. And he shows this picture of here's a room full of computer equipment that's all obsolete. It's all five years old, 10 years old. And he's like, but here's the thing that nobody knows about this picture. He's like, I worked at ILM and I took this picture of all this equipment that was used to make all these different movies, but it's 10 years old now, so it's just being thrown out. Does that mean that the work that we made on it wasn't any good? No, not at all. It's like you don't need the newest, shiniest stuff. You need to know the good technique to get there. And that was entirely what his his point of of the book was about. Is like, let's stop focusing on the, the newest, shiniest, expensive stuff and focus on, okay, what do you actually need to do to get this shot done? I, I'm a huge fan of Steve Mashwitz, by the way. You know, I think it all goes back to the basics. Just master the basics and then keep reapplying those basics and eventually you'll, you'll get really good at it. Now, share one online resource with our audience. Something that it could be something like Evernote, could be something like Workflowy, something that you use every single day. It doesn't have to be related to your field, but something that simplifies your workflow. Could be Ukramedia.com. <laughs> I was going to say it'd be Google image search is probably like one of the first things. I mean, I know just about every artist does this, that when you get a client or a boss that's like, hey, I want I want to do an image that looks like whatever. The first thing you do is you Google that and you're like, what is this thing? Um, yeah, that's <laughs> honestly that that uh, has cut so much time down from before you could do Google image search before there were pictures of everything on the Internet. Um, <laughs> I know that's that's too basic and too cheesy, but Google image search gives me like whenever I start a project, I have a photo structure that I use. And uh, it's something I learned when I was working at EW Scripps and, and Fox is because, you know, you have 18,000, 20,000 projects and you need to be able to jump into any one of them and know where the renders are and where the output files are in the After Effects project. So all the stuff is exactly the same file structure. And one of the things I have in my file structure is reference. And so when I first start, whether it's I'm building a ship or I'm doing a, an abstract piece for, you know, the ceiling in some mall somewhere, the first thing I do is I start looking for imagery uh, it's almost like a uh, the the board where you put all your you tear things out of a magazine, stick it on there um, that are like images that you want in your project. But I just put tons of imagery into this reference folder, and I go back through it and kind of pick out the details of stuff that I like. And almost all that stuff comes from Google or you know Pinterest searches or whatever. It just quickly gives you a bunch of input, a bunch of potential like a reference point. Yeah, and then you get to. Like the artistic process for me is not so much inventing new things as kind of curating other people's choices and then distilling that into something that I like. Perfect. What's something that you're excited about today? Okay, this I've got I've got a big one. I uh, I've been working on this building kit 
for because I love Cinema 4D, and I was building, I was making all these 3D buildings, and I kept running into this problem where like so much of this stuff is repetitive, and I feel like modeling this should be way easier. And so I came up with this cloner rig and this uh, kit that I'm doing with Jordan over at the Pixel Lab, and we are just about ready to release that. I'm so excited about it because it's one of these things where you're like, like there should be a better solution, there should be a better solution, and you know it's my problem solving thing where I wasn't coming up with the solution, so I just took a walk, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait. Let's try it this way. And it worked. And I'm like, I'm brilliant. I'm going to buy a mountain, you know. Um, (laughs) So I'm really excited with how well this product has turned. It's like my first real product that I've ever had. And uh, uh, I showed it to Joran and and he was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is amazing. So uh, that was really validating, by the way. (laughs) I think think a lot of artists like to get validated. (laughs) I know I do. Um, And yeah, so that's, that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, the building kit that like I'm not just trying to plug my thing like I'm really excited that this thing actually worked the way that I, I thought it would work where can and, we find uh, it it'll be available on the pixel lab I know Jordan's on vacation for uh, for about a week but uh, probably in about two weeks on the pixel lab there'll be stuff about it well when the show goes live it'll be the product will be live already so I'll include the show uh, the link in the show notes below how about uh, before we head out man how about share where we can where can people connect with you or your website or anything else that you'd like to plug in uh, yeah just uh, the, just the website rickdls.com um, it's mostly just my portfolio stuff I, I might <laughs> I have a lot of uh, models that are available for free for download uh, I'm not sure if I really want to turn that into a store or anything but I might put uh, a model for sale or something but uh, yeah I just it's mostly just my portfolio site Rick D. Ellis and and the pixel lab like put a lot of stuff available for download for for the freebie section uh, there as well thank you so much again I appreciate it for everyone else who is not a part of Ucremedia community you can go to ucremedia.com slash community to join us for free it's a private community there's all kinds of people I think we're approaching 2,000 people 2,000 members in the community so if you're not there you're missing out and well anyway Rick thank you so much for your time I appreciate it and, and go Bucks you're a Buckeye fan go Buckeyes yes <laughs> All right, Ucremedia family, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rick Ellis. Make sure to check out Rick's beautiful, accurate, and inspiring 3D work at rickdellis.com. If you would like to reach out to Rick, his email address is rickdellis at aol.com. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available on our website at ucromedia.com slash three. If you would like to be a guest on our show, you can apply at ucromedia.com slash apply. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of Ucromedia Podcast. Bye-bye.